What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Discuss Hawkeye. This week we are covering episode four. Jace, can you tell us who direct, directed, wrote, and the title of episode four? Yes. Uh, so this one was directed again by Burton Birdie. It happens to be written this time around by Heather Quinn and Aaron Cansino. It is titled Partners. Am I right? So guys, as always, what we're going to do is we're going to do a general overview of our thoughts on the episode and exactly where we think it ranks in the season with the others as well. Um, then we're going to go into a little more in depth into a scene by scene recap where we go uh, essentially give uh, more specific um, thoughts on the episode and do a scene by scene breakdown. And then lastly, we'll go ahead and give some predictions on where we think this thing's going to go. And we should have some fun ones for this one as well. Um, before we get started, guys, uh, for Discuss Hawkeye this season, we've been doing Christmas traditions every week. So week one, we did Letters to Santa. Week two, we did Eggnog that I was terrible in. Um, week three, what did we do for week three, Chase? We did, oh, we did the Christmas card. This week, uh, obviously, we're doing ugly sweaters. So uh, this one's going to be mainly for the uh, video podcast. But um, if you want to take a second, Jace, we can go ahead and just describe each other's sweaters for our podcast listeners here. Um, they're they're yeah, pretty bad here. I love the mixture of the snowflakes as well as the musical notes just randomly scattered throughout. It's great. Uh, Jace, can you show us your sweater here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, it starts off with just some like kind of design, gets a lot of color all over the place. But my favorite highlight of this particular sweater is that there is a great white shark with a Santa hat and a Christmas sweater himself. Absolutely, Jace. Jace has a very Christmas sweater inception over here. Yeah, it's more of a holiday sweater. He has a very non-traditional Christmas sweater there. It's got uh, blue and green fishes all over it. It's obviously got a huge, great white shark with a Santa hat on, which is uh, which is classy. Guys, we're not going to waste too much time here. We're going to go ahead and jump into the uh, our general thoughts here. Jace, um, episode four. What is it? Partners. Uh, partners. Am I right? Partners. Am I right? partners comma am i right uh what did you think of this episode and uh where do you think it ranks with the rest of the episodes in this season uh i do feel like it took a very slight step back but i mean not too much back i still think i would rank this above the first two episodes so if anything one two four three to be specific uh still had a good time with it it was much more story centric had a little bit of action which was nice to see at the end um mm -hmm. which i know we will get into depth of but yeah overall there's some good and some bad there there was actually one particular thing that i'm i'm almost excited dare i say to talk about even though it's something that i'm not too happy with so mm -hmm. i hope that this was like a one-time thing or maybe it was to lead to something else but uh mixed emotions on this one but mostly do like it I do kind of corroborate with your thoughts on as far as rankings and stuff are concerned. I did enjoy this one. It definitely kind of slows, slowed, like at least the first like three fourths of the episode really just kind of slowed the pace down after the kind of crazy, um, crazy craziness of, of episode three. I do kind of rank it. I think it is a step back from three. Three was just, I, like I said, I thought it was one of the best episodes of MCU TV ever, or I thought it was the best. I don't know where, I'm trying to think where I would rank it with episode one or two as well. I think they're really on the same plane for me. I, I would probably agree with you. I'd probably put this one slightly above one and two just because it's farther along in the story and there's kind of more revelations and more kind of character um, stuff, obviously, that comes up here. So far below three, but right around one, two, uh, right around one, two in that area there. So guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into our uh, scene by scene recap here um, and see see kind of where we where we think a little more in depth. The episode opens right where we left off. So if you guys remember last episode, um, they were trying to break into the Bishop Security Terminal at Eleanor's uh, penthouse. And uh, and 
as they got their information, Clint walked around the apartment and then all of a sudden got the Ronin blade right to his neck, being held by Jack DeCane, um, the the kind of uh, guy we've been having a lot of fun with, the Eleanor's uh, fiance to be with the twirly mustache like Jace is doing there. Yeah, he's it's been that guy. So he was holding the knife uh, to Clint's throat and we cut the episode out. We start right back there. Um, it kind of jumps right into it, and then immediately Eleanor kind of comes around the uh, comes around the side and says like, "What's going on?" And it did kind of turn into what I at least they're trying to play it off like it turned into what I predicted last episode, which is, uh, yeah, there's a guy that just is in their house, and uh, he was kind of doing this as like a, a self defense thing. There wasn't any kind of like villainous reason for for holding that up there. And then they they kind of talk. They have a a, a kind of talk between Kate, Clint, um, Jack, and Eleanor, where they're. Jack and Eleanor just kind of figure out what's going on and Kate's trying to kind of keep them off the trail and at the same time let them know that they're working a mission. What did you think about this whole scene from when they found out this and she walks into the room to they have that dinner table uh, kind of conversation about Kate's involvement in an Avenger mission and and kind of Clinton and, and her dynamic through that? The first thing that I kind of took away from it was the fact that I thought it was a little odd that it made it seem like they were almost breaking into the house just for it to turn into a situation where they were both home and it's just like, what's going on here? And it's, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I thought they were trying to make it seem like uh, we're snooping around cause no one's home right now. So I thought that was kind of funny that it just, I don't know, turned into that situation. If they were just home, why couldn't she have just been like, Hey, I'm home. I'm going to do something. And then kind of maybe, I don't know, step over to the side, but actually sneaking into the place was a little, little random nonetheless the conversation though was uh pretty entertaining i think just because of the fact that i i love clint's persona here i love the way that he uh handles and composes himself in these conversations and how just kind of stoic he is and doesn't really give too much um you know she's just like trying to emphasize that they're more of a 50 50 partnership on this and he's just like nah not really um and i also love like the kind of disbelief on the mom's end of just like, so she's helping you with anything. Like you could tell there's a genuine, like, I don't really get what it could possibly be that she's actually providing some sort of assistance for you. To your point about the mom and dad or the mom and fiance just kind of show up uh, there again. Yeah. I think you're right. It seems like she would have maybe anticipated, Hey, what if they're home, you know, (laughs) or like even, I I don't know if they were like supposed to be at work at the time or something, or she, she like didn't anticipate that they may just be at the house that they live at potentially um, before going in. Uh, But that seemed like a a definite surprise to her, which uh, seemed odd. And uh, yeah, she could have done a little more sleuthing for that. Um, But yeah, they hop right into this scene at the dinner table. I liked, uh, again, I just think the guy that plays Jack DeCane was great in this too. Uh, I think he said like, he said like, thanks for saving the world to Clint or something. And I thought it came off really like, really kind of cocky and passive aggressive and stuff. And it was, uh, his whole performance has just been really a highlight for me in the, uh, in the show so far uh, in a, in kind of a limited capacity. And then, uh, yeah, you get the dynamic between Kate and her mother, where the, her mother is obviously sh- expressing some concern, both bewilderment and concern, because she's like, you're doing a my my daughter's doing a, a, a mission with the Avengers. And then, uh, yeah, you get Clint and her dynamic where you can tell Kate is Kate is really giving 90 percent in this relationship as far as trying to connect. And and Clint is giving the bare minimum of it's just like, I don't want to be friends with you. <laughs> you know, like he's like, I, I really don't want this to be a partnership. I don't want to be friends with you. And this is kind of a theme that comes up uh, over and over throughout this episode that that kind of they get into later is kind of her 
uh, her joyous um, kind of engagement in trying to be a partner or trying to be a sidekick or whatever, what, what have you. And Clint's just like, I, I, I'm only doing this just literally just to save you. And I, and I'm going to get out. I don't want this to be more than it is. Uh, we get a scene with Clint and Eleanor right after this, where Eleanor kind of goes mama bear mode and kind of says, uh, and, and, uh, we'll get into this later in the episode too, but very much this episode feels kind of haunted by the ghost of Natasha Romanoff in more ways than one. Um, she first brings this up with Clint when he's about to get on the penthouse elevator. She says, yeah, she's a pretty good, uh, she's pretty good at what she does, but so was Natasha. And we saw how that ended kind of, kind of, uh, salting the wound there a little bit for Clint, but also it seems understandable to bring that up when it's your daughter and it's your kid potentially doing that, that you don't want them to be in danger and stuff. It also goes back to a, a previous note that I had made in a past episode where I was, I was kind of describing ways in which Eleanor could, her character could kind of fall into some, uh, some dangerous behavior or, or immoral behavior in service of kind of protecting Kate after the, the horrific loss that they experienced in episode one. Um, and this kind of, this kind of fed into that. You can just definitely tell Eleanor feels required or she feels a, a heavy responsibility to be a protector for Kate. And I can see that kind of pushing her down some dark roads and, and she kind of vaguely threatens that, uh, to Clint as well. I love his response to her, by the way, the way where she's just like, you know, so, so you'll con- uh, drop the mission. She doesn't say consider like, so you'll drop yeah, the yeah. mission. He's just like. No, I can't do that. But I will promise that I'll keep her safe. And, you know, it's like the typical cheesy heroic thing to say, but he doesn't say it in a cheesy way at all. It's just kind of I love how stern he is about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, I, I am not listening to you here, but uh, I'll make sure that she's OK. And it's it's funny. It's another red flag that she says, drop the mission as opposed to you'll you'll not involve Kate. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's another kind of like, uh oh, uh, moment for Eleanor's character there. Um, I think the show is very aware that she's being painted in a certain light at this point. I don't think that they're, I don't think they're, they think, I don't think that they think they're really hiding anything necessarily. So um, it, it does kind of seem very on the surface, but she also makes a very sketchy phone call after this to some unknown person saying, <laughs> essentially saying like, call me back, please. And Avengers snooping into our business, essentially there. Um, there's another phone call, obviously between Clint and Laura. Um, so Laura is, is, is present in this episode as well. It's another phone call from home that I predicted was going to happen where they're doing another Christmas activity that Clint can't partake in. Um, and he asks Laura to run a, uh, a company, run some information for a company, uh, Sloan limited that we talked about in the last episode. So she's kind of his, she's kind of his, his, uh, guy behind the desk from the spider, um, Spider-Man movies, you know, the, 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 the person behind the desk kind of gets all the information and stuff for him. I think that's a cool dynamic. Um, I don't know that they've done that in, in other movies or episodes where Laura's been like the, uh, the kind of information point person for Clint. But, uh, I like that she kind of serves that role too. Do you know what language they spoke to each other to kind of hide from the kids? Did you pick up on that at all? I don't know if it was Russian because and yeah my only guess is because like right with natasha and then they're being close to natasha even if they don't like the wife was as well so that's my first guess but i have no idea for sure um yeah because there's a couple languages in the eastern european that sound similar to one another right i assumed russian as well i I think if i had to guess i would guess russian there too but um they're essentially talking when they get to a part where they don't want to maybe alert the kids um that there's anything going on 
they speak in Russian um, or, or I don't want to say Russian. They speak a different language that seems Russian to both of us as uh, as kind of uncultured, uncultured American folk here. But the revelation is that she finds out Jack DeCane actually is the owner or is the CEO or something of this Sloan Limited. Um, does, do you think that 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 kind of puts a uh, puts a target on him as far as definitely being involved still like are are you still because i'm still in the camp of like i think this is all easily explainable um mm-hmm. do you feel like jack's definitely uh more nefarious than that that the show's kind of leading to or do you think it's a red herring like i do still think it's a red herring i'm right on the same page with you i actually yeah. look at it like this kingpin who i think is really behind all of it mm-hmm. is smart enough to know that he should not be involved to like any extent he seems like someone who would play it very coy quiet you know in the background he has no reason to have his name directly attached to something i feel like kingpin sees jack as a perfect puppet to go ahead and say hey this guy he's a real good business guy he'll run this business for me but this is just a front for me to do whatever and then if someone were to go ahead and look into this who are they gonna see not me and that's yeah. exactly what Kingpin wants is the attention to not be focused on him. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility too. My thought process was I was thinking like, I think Armand, the person that died by Blade in episode one, his kind of douchey character, caricature of a rich person uncle um, that died there. I think he's probably into some nefarious dealings. He was probably the point person with Kingpin and a lot of stuff for for these things. I think mm-hmm. if 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 uh, Jack is the CEO of the Sloan Limited, it's probably more of a ceremonial position that the uncle just gave him to like as a, a kind of a show of nepotism of like, oh, yeah, you can run this company, go for it, whatever. And then he still kind of had control behind the scenes. I think it's almost like a, like I said, it's more of a ceremonial position than something he actively works day to day. Um, I think a lot of times these, like a lot of times, like rich people will get these kind of positions just off of who their who their uncle or father is, and they don't really run the day to day, you know. So I think that's most likely the case. But the show is very much leaning into you're supposed to be suggesting Jack, and I just don't buy it yet. I still don't buy it. Um, again, every time that they've led up where something's shown like he's going to be kind of revealed as a big bad, there's been some kind of um, there, there's a way for us to explain out of it. So I, I really think uh, that's probably the case. There's also scenes with uh, with her kind of sitting down with Kate and uh, kind of a scene where kind of Jack is extremely charming, like he's been the whole show. And he's kind of starting to charm Kate a little bit. I don't know if you notice when he's dancing with the bombs, he's just kind of like, oh, that's like sweet and stuff. So he's kind of, she's kind of warming up to him at the same time as like suspecting him more, which I think is an interesting conflict where like she's, I think she's starting to kind of like get him and like him a little more as a person. But at the same time, she's getting more information that's leading her to think that he's a villain there. They they kind of have a, a kind of family Christmas um conversation there uh where, where they're kind of dancing and stuff and then she starts to feel clint being left out and uh wants to go over there to help him what did you think of that conversation between the mom and uh jack and kate uh and kind of what that revealed about them it was an interesting dynamic to throw into the mix here right because yeah you have all these reasons to be against him against him even though right we've been on the same side of just whatever i think you're just trying to wave a flag over here and uh direct our attention somewhere it doesn't need to be but it was also like i feel like it kind of just went on a bit long like the whole dancing and everything it was nice it made its point and then i was like all right it's kind of a little bit awkward and it's not Mm -hmm. really i think driving the sentiment forward that you want to but I get what they were doing, right? It was it was still a sweet moment. Um, I'm not sure. It's weird. I have, I have mixed emotions on like, I'm not sure if she so much is starting to accept Jack. It does seem like she is. But it seems much more like her 
focus is directed towards how happy her mom is. You know, like the one yeah. thing that she was really speaking about was I've never seen you like that before. So mm-hmm. I think that that's something that's really what's winning her over more so than like the actual guy that Jack is. But then they do throw in that part where it's like how he says those certain expressions wrong. That was funny. So mm-hmm. it's like, OK, now that's that's specifically about him. So maybe she is warming up to him a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think it is just one more sign that just points towards like how we've been saying think he's just a normal dude he's just rich and then just doesn't know any better and just is is ignorant to a lot of what's going on behind him yeah i think if we're wrong i'll be the first to admit like uh, like i'll be the first to admit it but it just feels like you said it it does feel like there's a universe where i'm like oh this is just a really this is just a really good guy that's kind of being manipulated by a more nefarious like partner um Mm -hmm. and uh and and i can totally see that being the case but yeah i'll be the first to admit if they if they do reveal him as a as a big bat here in the season. But um, yeah, I, I did like the, what you, what you uh, touched on, which was the whole, like, I don't get euphemisms, right. Character trait. I thought that was pretty funny that he was just kind of like saying the wrong euphemisms and stuff and kind of things getting lost in translation um, that her and uh, her and Kate and Eleanor found amusing. Um, I did as well. I thought that was really good. Absence makes the hard girl older, by the way. <laughs> um, so yeah, Kate, uh, he says, he says something along the lines of, and I like the way they kind of wrote this to kind of tie in, the character moment again they, they've done a good job such a good job of kind of revealing characters in these moments but he said getting made fun of by your family is still better than being alone in the holidays right kind of a throwaway line and that kind of registers with kate where she starts thinking about clint and kind of what he's sacrificing and not being with his children and and stuff like that and decides to kind of go hopefully kind of bring some christmas joy deliver some christmas joy to the uh to the old bruised barton who um in the next scene ices himself down with wine coolers which i thought was funny um so yeah she comes over she brings some pizza uh and some ugly christmas sweaters um and they kind of have a have a kind of fun bonding moment this scene went on fairly long where they're kind of just like both kind of character bonding in this apartment with lucky the pizza dog and he's kind of teaching her things and they have a very kind of father-daughter kind of um vibe throughout this entire scene. What were your thoughts on this scene um, from when they, when she comes to when they like eat the pizza together when he learns the quarter trick, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what were your thoughts on the scene in that regard? I like this scene a lot, mm-hmm. actually. Um, I thought it was really, really nice to see them be built together more. You know, this, the show has done one thing really well consistently up to this point, um, which with with one minor note that I'll have later on, but it's it's the building the dynamic between them without making it seem forced or really cheesy. Um, it just seems pretty genuine and organic, and I really appreciate and like that. If hypothetically speaking, this were not to be a show and were a movie instead, this scene would make the cut of the Hawkeye movie. Yeah, because I feel like it really establishes a good dynamic there, uh, a good. Uh, checkpoint in their relationship if you will yeah i think that's a good point like if they were doing a movie this does seem kind of a like a foundational interaction between the two that kind of uh really really describes their their dynamic and relationship in in an efficient way so yeah i think they probably would make the cut for the movie um i like i i like this whole thing i I can understand if people that are kind of watching this for a certain reason of getting kind of the mcu action and the more superhero um uh, the, the more superhero normal stuff it would kind of find this slow and, and, and unnecessary potentially, but I love this kind of stuff. I think it's really cool to get a scene with an Avenger in such an informal setting that you feel that seems very relatable. We've all had these kind of nights after COVID and everything. This feels very relatable being stuck in a house and trying to kind of make entertainment for yourself because you can't go do anything or something. They're both so likable, Haley Steinfeld and Jeremy Renner as these characters 
that it's just kind of fun to see them kind of interact in, in, in that kind of informal setting. Again, this, this episode has very much slowed the pace from three. And hopefully this is kind of an episode where they're just kind of setting things, setting the stage for things to happen. Um, in the future they go from this scene here well i mean it's the same scene but they do go into uh, a pretty intense conversation where they're kind of sitting in front they're watching it's a wonderful life i believe on tv and uh she starts talking about the best shot you ever took and he said it was the one i didn't take which was the shot on natasha romanoff um and again like i said she's been very much a an active character in this in this season in this whole series she's very much a behind the scenes uh emotional kind of foundation piece for 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 hawkeye the conversation gets a little more intense as she starts to kind of put together that maybe he's the that he is the ronin she actually does put it together my takeaways for this were that they were both very candid with each other which i found really um really strong he didn't seem like he was very guarded uh, he was guarded but he didn't seem like he was holding any information back from her he was just kind of like telling her what it was being very blunt and i think think he was kind of using this as an opportunity to maybe deter her from making similar choices um that he did so what did you think of this scene uh, introducing natasha and kind of how they reveal that kate knows about the ronin now yeah i think you know even when in the previous episode kate was talking about the suit design and hinting at all black with a hood I think she kind of was like, right, given the insinuation that she may know what's going on here. Yeah. And that was interesting to throw in. But the part with Natasha was definitely the more, um, the right, the more interesting takeaway for me for that particular part of the scene. It, I'll tell you what, man, after hearing the way that Clint described that, right, the whole just that small little snippet of when he was about to take the shot, didn't so on and so forth. And then when you also take into consideration every other reference that there's been to the beginning of their relationship hawkeye and and black widow it just makes me wish that the black widow movie would have been that i wish yeah. that would have been the story right and, and i kind of feel like that was a missed opportunity on their end i do think it does make sense as to why he's trying to make such a pointer of like you don't realize what you could potentially lose because even though i still have my family here and i think that's the only part she's kind of focusing on just because they're not blood related doesn't mean Natasha wasn't family to him. Yeah. And he says, um, you know, when you say just because I had my family here, he didn't for a long time. He lost his entire family doing this. And, uh, you know, you can make the argument that it, he would have lost them anyway if he was affiliated or not affiliated. But, uh, yeah, he, he did lose his entire family and he's lost Natasha. And that's kind of a permanent loss for him and stuff like that. So he has lost a lot. He is trying to kind of convey that to her, the sacrifices and, and kind of he sees this precocious young kid and he's going like, I don't want you to have to experience the pain that I have kind of going down this route. He also, they also set up a very uh, interesting kind of perspective dynamic between the two where his outlook is a lot more cynical and maybe darker than Kate's is. Obviously Kate has an, has an outside perspective of everything where he's Clint Barton, Hawkeye, this hero um, that, that saves people constantly. And he saved her. Um, and he has a very different uh, interpretation of, that all happened in service of a more dark mission, which is hurting people and that he was aimed by the right people and he's a weapon. And um, they, they, they're they very diametrically opposed in this uh, in this argument about what Hawkeye represents and what Hawkeye means. She has a much more optimistic view of it than he does. And I love that dynamic between the two where he's kind of a weathered by pain, um, a reluctant mentor that's trying to tell her, like, this is how it was. This is how I, I'm not worthy of this praise and I'm not worthy of this um, this adulation from people. 
and she's going, no, you, you, you may have done these bad things, but you're very much like, uh, you're very much a hero. You saved a lot of people. You saved my life and all this stuff. And she's trying to kind of warm him to that idea that maybe he is worthy. He, he is worthy of love. He is worthy of being respected and recognized. Um, and, and that's going to be kind of the, the, the arc for, for their, both their characters. I think this season is kind of meeting somewhere in the middle where maybe she recognizes what he did and what he had to sacrifice and gave up at the same time. He recognizes that maybe he did more than good and maybe he would do it again. Um, if given the opportunity. So I really love that, that interaction between them. I felt that like felt that was very foundational to their relationship in this scene here. I talked in previous episodes about how MCU events are really good about uh, using the ripples of those events later on, like whether or not it's it's the Avengers compound finding tech from when it collapsed earlier. And they kind of use these events to kind of feed into each other and flesh these events out more as they go through the series. Um, I love that they do that emotionally with Natasha, where obviously she was such a beloved character and one of the foundational members of the Avengers. And that was a huge loss in Endgame. And I love that between the Black Widow movie and this series, the emotional ripples of that loss are being felt by all these characters. It's 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 it uh, it doesn't feel like a contained event. It's very much bleeding into these other shows and movies, and uh, you can really feel the weight of that loss in those um, in those different shows. So I really love that they're doing that, and I love that Natasha is kind of a very f- a big focal point in this episode, um, which is nice because they do the same thing for Tony Stark. You know what I mean? Like right. obviously in uh, Spider Man. Uh, far from home. That was like a huge central focal point is that, hey, Tony Stark is gone and how sad is this? And yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense that she was obviously maybe a, a different integral part, but just as integral of a part from like the beginning to a certain extent and should absolutely be like remembered and missed and everything like that, mm-hmm. especially for this. You know, it's it's very fitting with how close her and Clint were, it, it would make no sense that they didn't have that in. So yeah, I, I also love that they're making it a, a true big part of the show. Absolutely. Yeah. So it goes from that scene to the next morning. So they wake up and he has some missions for them. So he's going to go ahead and look into this Kazi guy, which is Maya's interpreter, her kind of sign language interpreter and kind of her right hand man, her number two, if you will. And then he tells her, um, I've got another whole quiver of trick arrows that were kind of collected by the police. Um, you're going to have to go uh, see my friend, uh, the LARPers. Uh, we talked about potentially some of these LARPers coming back in the se- in the series, and they do. Um, Grills, particularly, uh, kind of comes in clutch and helps them on a specific mission. We thought that that might happen uh, early on in the season, and they do there. She's going to meet the LARPers, um, so she walks out there to meet them kind of doing uh, their LARPy stuff where they're just kind of like swinging and attacking sound effects guy makes a comeback. We both were big fans of him, uh, in that episode there. And, uh, she speaks with Ellsbath of Deepdale or officer Wendy Conrad, if you want to say like her, her, her usual name, um, and asks her to tamper with some evidence to get them the quiver of trick arrows back, uh, from police, uh, lockup or something. And they say, well, we'll go ahead and do that for you, but we need something in return. Clint goes to see Kazi. Um, he kind of meets him in the back of his car. It's very kind of typical of like the guy gets in the car and then someone just kind of stands up in the back seat, you know, <laughs> sits up in the back seat there. Um, I, I don't know if it's like a Batman thing I'm thinking of or something, but yeah, he gets in his car and Clint kind of has a heart to heart with him. Not a heart to heart, I guess, is, is kind of a, a, a flowery way of putting it. But he has a uh, come to Jesus moment with Kazi, I guess would be a better way to put it, where he just says... Um, Maya is going down a dark road. She's chasing a ghost. The Ronin's dead. Um, I know that you know this. And he's saying we can uh, you have to talk her out of this because if she if we continue down this road, 
it may result in lives lost and i don't want to do that anymore so he seems very dedicated to minimizing even with tracksuits um minimizing the amount of people that that uh that die there and uh kazi does not seem very receptive of that um but you can see maybe he's planted a seed in kazi where kazi's saying like maybe he's right i should probably talk to maya so i'm pretty sure we're going to get that interaction later in the series they speak to, of maya's boss which both of us are pretty sure is uh is a big is a big bald baby kingpin <laughs> uh <laughs> So, yeah, what did you think of that scene from when Kate kind of meets the LARPers uh, to when uh, Clint is questioning Kazi and kind of that, that tense standoff with them in the car? The only thing that I have as a takeaway from Kate meeting the LARPers is I kind of found it to be a little ridiculous. Uh -huh. She walks up with a bow and some arrows and is just like, hey, I know that Avenger Hawkeye and uh -huh. he sent me here to get his arrows. So that's enough, right? You'll you'll give them to me now, right? I was yeah. kind of like, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I get for the sake of the show, I don't know how to go about it, but still, I just thought that was kind of cheesy that she literally just walks up, says, I know Hawkeye, give me his arrows that you're holding. And they're just like, yeah, sure. Um, but still, nonetheless, I thought it was yeah. nice because of what it ends up leading to. They find out that really these uh are the people that are going to help out with making their their new uniforms so I, I was happy they came back into the play for that and it wasn't like that bothered me enough to where i just all of a sudden didn't like what was going on i just thought that is way too funny that that's how simplistic it was the clint and kazi scene i liked a lot more it was i, I appreciate i would start off like the very typical like spy movie or something right like yeah, yeah. that where right pops up but then the actual conversation at hand I, I really like how it went down. And I also like how in the midst of it, Kazi kept going potentially for another weapon. He was just like, you looking for this? Are you looking for that? Or the box cutter under the seat? And he's just like, I got it all covered. Um, but then also, yeah, going to the message itself, just being like, hey, look, man, forget the whole hero villain aspect of this. I'm just talking to you as a person to person. I'm letting you know, you seem sensible enough to deliver this message forward and cut the crap which i i thought was cool and i i love how even like kazi says like uh you know something about like you think that highly of me he's like oh no i think you're a doormat um but then continues on to kind of yeah, like yeah. deliver the message <laughs> and I, what i do think is that kazi already does seem a little on the fence right i mean we've already seen him question in front of others you know what i mean that's a big thing is not just like in the background and like the you know the office when no one else is around in front of other people he's like straight up stopped her and questioned her then they've had their own little sidebar conversation and everything so i think that him hearing that from clint was maybe not like a yeah man you're definitely right but just enough like you said planting a seed that is going to start to sprout into yeah you know what we we got to be careful here the reason why I think that even more so is Echo is getting, she's got her own show coming up and I cannot imagine that she will stay painted in the light of a villain, even leading into her own show. I imagine that by the end of this show, we will see her as much more of a, if anything, an anti-hero, but I even doubt that. I think she's going to be like a full-blown hero or close to it by the end of the show. Um and who knows, maybe Kazi will even come with it. Yeah, no, I I, I don't think he will. Um, I think what they're doing, like, I, I think you make a really good point. I think what they're doing is kind of setting up an eventual heir to the tracksuit mafia um, villainy uh, kind of throne that Maya occupies right now. And I think what they're doing is they're making it so 
Um, there's there's a rift between the tracksuit mafias and kind of Kingpin's goals and maybe Maya's goals, which was just really just came out, came from an, an emotional place of retribution for her father's death with Ronan. Um, it didn't come from uh, like a villainous criminal kind of uh, motivation, I guess. So, yeah, I think they're setting up Kazi as like an eventual successor to Maya when she eventually does flip and either wants to go against Kingpin or wants to join up. Um, with with the with our with our protagonist here, uh, you made a great point there about the LARPers too. That makes it makes no sense. Um, so sh so like first of all, they just believe her when she says that she knows Clint. Um, they they have no reason to believe her. I don't think that she was she wasn't there when Grills met her with Hawkeye. So I, I guess they would be going, oh well, how would she know that an Avenger knows us? But anybody at that LARPing event would know that an Avenger knows them, right? So yeah, it, it and then um you also make a great point too, where like she just walks around with bow like like bows and arrows, and like no one says anything. She walks into like across the streets. She walks into like these apartment buildings with like a huge bow and like. And like deadly arrows, like arrows that shoot people. <laughs> like it's, I mean, I like it's, uh, it's, you would think that she's, she's about to go commit like a mass killing or something with like how she's just kind of walking around with that stuff in like normal, uh, normal places in the city. It's not like she's at like a, a countryside where she's like practicing, you know, her, her target, target practices and stuff like that. So it is funny how they do that. They kind of quip on that later where he, she says, How do you carry around your stuff? And he says, I have a collapsible bow. Um, which which makes more sense. It's more kind of concealed, but her, for her, she's just kind of like walking out in the middle of nowhere with it. And then the the cop just agrees to go literally tamper with evidence, maybe put her job on the line for this kid that says she knows Hawkeye, and uh, and then Hawkeye needs his arrows back. Uh, yeah, it was extremely convenient. It didn't make much sense. I I think I always like have these rose colored glasses in these scenes just because I'm so happy that we're like we're with LARPers. I I think the whole concept's really funny. Um, so I always just look at it as like the LARPing aspect of it. And yeah, the, the internal logic of the scene didn't really make much sense at all. How about the concept that his trick arrows are not one-time use? It, I mean, just that alone also I thought was kind of weird. Like you, you can get them back and use them again. Or, you know, like the purple goo arrows. It's like, yeah, obviously, like the suction arrow makes sense. Yeah, do it, grab it, pull it back. You can use that again, or maybe the um, the grappling hook arrows if they disconnect and then like shoot back that way. But yeah, the the ones that kind of explode are obviously one time use, right? The 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 pyro arrows or whatever, or the goo <laughs> arrows. I'm assuming. I, I guess maybe they just they like pull it off and then refill it with whatever that stuff is. I don't I, I don't know. Yeah, it it did seem it seemed funny that he kind of brought those up as like, oh yeah, no, you can grab them. They're not one time use. It's like I think I think he meant some of them are. I think some I think like uh I think the goo arrows, the explosive arrows, those kind of things are not reusable. But maybe like the smoke arrows are where you just kind of refill it with something or the suction cup or the USB arrow, those kind of things are probably reusable. Well, she uses the goo arrows again later. So I'm either guessing that he just had more of them. I, yeah, I think that... he had more of those in the quiver that they got from the cops. You obviously have a lot of connections and resources and I get he's trying to lay low, but you're gonna tell me that you don't know anybody that might be able to manufacture some new trick arrows for you? Anybody? Yeah, you, don't think, on, you don't think Pepper would hook him up, you know? Right. I, I the thing the, the the thing I'll push back on with that is I think he does. I I honestly think he does. But um he wasn't expecting this mission. So like he was he was expecting to kind of just be retired and like be with his family. He probably has more arrows at home, but he's out of town in New York. 
um at the time so i think he does i think this this just kind of came out of nowhere this mission where he's having to protect kate from being ronin and i don't think he's obviously had time to like reach out to his contacts and say hey i really need some trick arrows to hook it up you know i think it, it's more about it's it's more situational than it is about that he doesn't have the means to manufacture or have these arrows there um that's a totally fair point with Kazuki in the car he brings up that william lopez which i'm assuming is maya's father was a lieutenant for four years for the tracksuits um, I do like the interaction. Like you said, I do like that he he had all of the compartments checked. It's almost like the guy was checking the stuff, and he just looked at him like, "Are you serious? I'm Hawkeye. This isn't my first rodeo. Like I know where you would put this 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 crap." Um, so I did kind of like that. It very it, it plays up to kind of Clint's um, Clint's paranoia and uh, and and how kind of thorough he is as an Avenger, which he's always been. It goes from that scene to um, Grills is cooking Snickerdoodle cookies. He's baking Snickerdoodle cookies and. Uh, in their apartment, which I thought was a fun touch, um, and ask Clint kind of if they want them. This is the scene where they do go into uh, that the girl designs costumes, and if, if maybe they can get some cool materials, they can design some cool costumes there. So yeah, it does set up. They're obviously going to be the ones that are that are kind of designing the the two Hawkeye suits, uh, which is fun. That like Larpers are going to design the Avenger suit. That's going to be cool. I'm sure it's going to be one of those situations where like later they uh, they they get an official upgrade from somebody like Bruce Banner or you know what I mean, something like that, where like they get a more kind of practical upgrade for it. But it's fun that the Larpers are are being kind of uh being kind of weaved into the storyline in this way. The comedy mostly worked in this one for me. Some of this stuff um seemed a little like much. I didn't like the whole like my here's my bag, my, my wife embroidered it thing and kind of adding that whole extra dynamic to like, Oh, they're going to have to give this bag back to this LARPer because it was her, you know, I, I thought that was like a little, it, it was a weird subplot to add in, but I, I'll hold withhold judgment until I see kind of how they pay it off later. Cause they may be setting something up that sh that could be really fun with having that, get that bag back to that cop that helped them out. We get the information that uh, from Laura, that the Rolex wasn't destroyed. They're very ambiguous about the Rolex. We still don't know what it is, but it says uh, it wasn't destroyed. It's obviously a very important thing. If they just have to say the Rolex and they both know exactly what they're talking about. So it's obviously something very powerful. Um, and they get an address for where it is locating from. I'll, I'll go ahead and bite the bullet here. I was a thousand percent wrong that Lucky ate the ate the watch. I was hanging onto that for a long time there. Um, that that's that did not seem to be the case. The watch is actually located at an apartment of of someone that we're going to find out about uh, very shortly. They go to find where the watch is. They go to an apartment complex and they're they're trying to orchestrate a particular mission to find the Rolex there. Um, between Kate and Clint on a rooftop. Kate kind of storms off on her own and takes a more practical approach to getting into the apartment than Clint would have. He he's, he's kind of a more tactical and she's more practical. And yeah, she gets into the apartment there, searches around and she finds the watch. We'll go ahead and stop there. What did you think of that scene from when they uh, the LARPers are kind of designing their costumes for them and that whole kind of interaction and about the girl with her bag and all that kind of stuff. And then um, the scene where Clint's in a mentorship role, kind of tactically walking her through how to get into this apartment, how to use sight lines, all that kind of thing. He's he's these very teaching moments between the two, and then Kate's reluctance to kind of fall for any or use any of that and just kind of storm off, use a practical approach, get in an elevator with a guy, that whole thing. What do you think of that scene from start to finish? I'm, I'm excited to see the whole coming together of the officially getting their you know their uniforms, costumes, mm -hmm. whatever. Right? That's that's going to be uh, an exciting moment. Um, the whole bag thing, I agree, was like. Unless it has a very emotional, touching payoff, I thought was ridiculous because the first thing I thought was, you know, she's like, you didn't bring your own bag. It's like, you can't just take them out of the bag and yeah. then take the bag back. 
Like we, or there was, there was no, there's no bag at that apartment that they're at. That they could put that in, you know, I don't know. It seems that weird. was the other thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's no other bag, no other way of means of transport. Like I get there in a rush, but yeah. I mean, you clearly were just hanging around for a moment. So you can't just like take another second to find another way to do this mm-hmm. or you can just, just carry. I don't know. So I thought that was definitely a little uh, odd, but fingers crossed that it has some mm-hmm. really, really nice uh, emotional payoff at the end. But past that point, this is actually where we start to tread into where my issues come into play for the episode. I love how Clint was giving his whole, like, as you're saying, tactical approach. This is the way we're going to go about this. I, I, you know, know down to like the exact amount of minutes, how long it'll take me to break into this place. I just need you to keep a lookout. The reason I chose this place for a lookout was because it's the, you know, the prime location for it and so on and so forth. Like there's, it's a very thought through thorough type of plan. And it honestly, it really bothered me that she just completely disregarded that. The one thing I have respected so much about this show up until this point is how they have had her not do that. How she has, you know, still showed signs of like maybe immaturity here and there, but by all means also shows kind of equal signs of composure and, and you know, willingness to listen and do better. And so the fact that she just disregarded everything he said. Mm-hmm. and blatantly walked across the street in the open in the public like you said helped uh the guy with the old man with the groceries i didn't find that to be like entertaining because the whole time mm-hmm. i'm sitting there going what are you doing right now yeah like this is not even if this is for a comedic approach to me it was not landing at all because i'm like you're just being stupid and yeah. like not even like a <laughs> look at how silly she's being no like you're really being stupid you guys are trying to break into an apartment and you think to walk in with a bow and arrow is just seriously not going to be yeah. like a problem so that really like i said definitely was a detriment to her character and i am hoping that that's something that they do something about right yeah. improve on moving forward because i think yeah like you were saying by the end of this i think we've both been hinting at this a lot throughout the past couple episodes i do feel like they're going to end this off where it is a, a even exchange hawkeye's a little bit more personable but still you know structured and well composed and then she's picked up on a lot of qualities of him while still staying herself this is one quality she definitely has to drop if they want her to continue to be likable and to be an effective member of potentially the Avengers at one point. I think it does a good job of proving like, this is why you don't do what you did. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think that's the main component for me because I do agree it, it, it it felt kind of out of character. She's weird. She's towed this line between like revering him as like an idol to like shut up old man i got this it's like it's a weird like it's a weird thing to like toe between those two things because she goes like like she goes from this like uh he's my favorite avenger fangirling over hawkeye and about how like great he is as a hero to like yeah your advice it's whatever i'm gonna go ahead and take this approach and and see see kind of where it goes it's it's weird to kind of like wrestle with those two things they go into the apartment and she finds the rolex watch when she goes in there there are these two kind of strobe lights that start flashing and this kind of red light flashing and she goes, she shoots them with putty arrows. And then she tells him, oh, um, there were these two strobe lights. And I remember thinking, like, do you not recognize that as an alarm? You know what I mean? Like, you just you just like you just like keyed into someone's house and went in. And then all of a sudden these lights start flashing. And it's like, how do you not immediately go? Oh, they triggered an alarm. Maybe I should hurry up and grab this stuff and get out of there. I don't know who thinks that, like, when when you're breaking into an apartment in the dark and all of a sudden lights start flashing that it's like, oh, no, it's just strobe lights. They have like. They no, must just have a party. 
Yeah, they must just have strobe lights going for no reason. I remember thinking like, and, and it was weird because she said it and it didn't even raise red flags with Clint. He's like, oh, okay, we'll find the watch. And I'm like, how are you both just like cool with the fact that you broke in and like lights start flashing? Like that seems very obvious as to what that would be. This is a, this is a scene, I agree. This scene had a lot of issues where it, it, it felt like some of the internal logic that had been so strong to the show up to this point felt very convenient and very kind of underwritten. Um, in this in this sequence where either characters were making strange decisions or the logic of what was happening in the plot kind of broke down where you're like that doesn't make any sense why why they wouldn't they wouldn't kind of recognize that but just the transition into the into the following scene they find the rolex and then uh, maya and kate get into a fight on me in the apartment and then a masked figure and Clint start fighting on the rooftop across the street this is the kind of main action scene maya fights kate Kate um f uh, flies over the um the rev the street I guess uh they start kind of fighting the masked figure Maya ends up coming over there's this big kind of free for all where they're all fighting each other you can tell that the masked figure and Maya are not on the same team um what were your thoughts on this action scene and then what were your thoughts on the huge reveal at the end as to who that masked figure was I'll go ahead and leave that one for you but um, what did you think of that uh, that reveal and then the fight scene that that uh, that precluded it? That was definitely a, a a really really good, well put together action scene. So not that every single thing needs the most action. However, when it comes to shows like this that are superhero based, even when it's not superpowers, you do want to see action somewhere at some point to help break up everything else. And I thought this was a very nice action set piece to end with. So I was very happy with that. I thought the whole Kate coming down on the uh the actual bow right mm -hmm. and then getting stuck i thought that was hilarious actually um i know they didn't mean it to be like a let's crack you up moment but i think that's what made it very effective was it wasn't really hey let's let's make a cheesy joke it was just like oh shoot what am i gonna do here now that i'm stuck when they actually got over that was also really cool because as you mentioned that when we see this masked figure as well as echo going at it and uh, i thought that was just really cool because it was like okay they're clearly defining they have nothing to do with each other this is not like they had some planned attack on who was breaking into the apartment and it also adds like i want to say an extra level of confusion however i think we all kind of started to get the hint pretty quickly at who it was not to say you should feel bad if you didn't, but I think they mm. did a good job of making it relatively obvious early on before even the official reveal happened. That's a great point. I just want to butt in for one second. At what point did you know that's her? Uh, just ever so slightly before she used a weapon that gave like the red shock. So there yeah, was yeah. a certain there was a certain point where I can't remember exactly what happened to make them do this, but they kind of like went backwards and she landed in the Black Widow pose. And oh, okay. so I was just like, yeah, I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that, right. That just kind of for sure confirmed it. And then, of course, the weapons that she was using further gave it away. By the way, if you can't tell from what I'm saying at this point, we end up finding out that it is Yelena Belova, who is actually the mass figure, uh, which was really, really cool. She doesn't necessarily have any lines in the episode, just mm -hmm. appears and gets confirmed and everything. But it is just, you know, giving that clear intent that she's after Clint, which if you've seen the Black Widow movie, on uh, the after credit scene you would definitely know why mm. um but man that was that was definitely a cool way to leave things off they're they're kind of on evil or evil equal fighting fields if yeah. you will like you know they, they kind of like can always one up each other a bit but no one is like 100 superior to the other 
So yeah. I, I love that dynamic that's between them there. It makes it that much more interesting to watch them fight. I think I, if I was judging, if I was judging the fight on who did the best, I think they they kind of set up like, I think Yelena was probably the most gifted. She was fighting both of them at the same time, Clint and Kate and Maya, like all three of them to us. And she was, she was holding her own uh, up until kind of uh, Kate used the, the, the arrow. They've kind of really done a good job of selling her character as someone that's probably one of the better hand-to-hand combatants that, that we have on the, as far as the new characters are concerned. And yeah, I just I, love that it's to that extent, but not like too much. That's a, I guess, right. right. To, to piggyback right. She off wasn't that, overpowering, right? but I think that she, she probably uh, slightly got the better of them more uh, throughout the fight scene, which I, which I thought was, I thought was cool. It was interesting. It kind of sets her character up um, as, as a more formidable um, foe or or ally, uh, depending on where her allegiances go towards the end of the season here. Um, the fight scene I thought was great. I didn't think it was as great as the action in three, obviously, for a couple reasons. I do think like I'm a person that like if you're doing a big fight scene like this, make the make the surrounding area very like dynamic and entertaining. And the the dark apartment with like two strobe lights wasn't a very like great uh, setting for a, a big like our first big fight scene between Kate and Maya, I thought that could have been a more grandiose, more like uh, at least more visually engaging, like maybe have the different red lights going on through the scene or something to kind of spice up the frame a little bit. I still think Burton Birdie's direction in this episode was really good. Like you said, you had to convey very efficiently that uh, Maya and Kate are fighting Clint and this mass figure are fighting, but that Maya and the mass figure aren't on the same team. And to kind of convey that visually without having them say some kind of line where it's like, I'm not with her or something on the nose like that. They just have a yeah. scene where uh, where Maya kind of kicks her away from. And then you go, oh, OK, wait, these people are not they're not on the same team here. So um, I thought information like that was visually conveyed pretty efficiently throughout the episode. Um, so I do think that they still did a good job here. And then the scene with um, where they're all four fighting on the on the um, the rooftop was well-directed, well-choreographed. They had a lot of, like, wide shots in that. It did seem like they they put a lot of thought into the choreography there. And the reveal for Yelena, I knew, I, I probably knew, like, right, like, probably around the same time as you did. Um, once I saw that he was fighting, a, uh, once I saw that he was fighting, like, a, a, a woman, I was like, that's that's gotta be her. They have her masked up. I was like, who else would it be? I was sitting there, like, racking my head. I was like, literally, who else? What other character could this be? Because it it would have it couldn't have been a new character like it would have had to be somebody you know right and I was just like okay well this has to be her so it's not really the end of the episode when they reveal N- Yelena because they reveal her Kate has an opportunity to kind of shoot her which she probably would have just dodged or caught anyway but she has an opportunity to shoot her and doesn't take it Yelena jumps off the side of the building to escape I guess and uh, and then Clayton Kate and Clint have a big rift where. Mm-hmm. Kate is saying, I'm, I'm your, I can't be your partner if you don't tell me what's going on. And he's like, you're not my partner. Like he's kind of having me like throw a rocket Lassie moment where he's, he's going like, go away. Like, you know what I mean? Like run, you know, get out of here. The show seems to be about dealing with grief. I think that's the mainly the, the main theme of the show. So Kate obviously dealing with the loss of her father sees this father figure in Clint and kind of latches onto him as a mentor and someone that she can look up to kind of filling the role of, uh, of maybe a father she hasn't had. Um, obviously Clint having lost his family and having lost Natasha and dealing with all that guilt, of of uh of what those losses may turned him into when he became Ronin and kind of and kind of grappling with that there Maya obviously coming after him because she lost her father uh uh Yelena 
because uh, dealing with the grief of Natasha having been gone. It's like this big coalescing of all these characters dealing with grief in different ways and, and kind of taking more violent routes to it. And I think that's I think that's cool that they're all kind of tied together thematically as, as people having lost something and trying to kind of fill it, um, whether it's a father figure for Kate um, whether it's uh, it's trying to right his past wrongs as Clint, whether it's trying to get vengeance for her sister with Yelena, they're all trying to like fill that hole in different ways there. So I think that's a really um, that's a really interesting dynamic, and I like that I like that they're all kind of connected that way. Well, as far as that that theme that you're talking about with grief and them all having a loss, that's it's a super solid point, and and it's something also I feel like um, I was able to notice early on just strictly between. Well, I guess Clint and Kate first and foremost, but then also Clinton Maya specifically. And as to why she's like a, a good opposing force, because she doesn't, she's not just another archer, but yet she still has a similar tie to him in the sense of this, this grief and going out for vengeance and stuff like that. And now with Yelena being brought into the fold, it just works that much more. So absolutely. I think that's a very, very good point. I agree with it a hundred percent. As far as the, the rift between Clinton and Kate, I almost saw it coming. It's the halfway point or mm-hmm. it's, you know, now officially a little bit further past the halfway point of the season and figured that there was going to be some sort of dilemma mixed in yeah. with them. But this is where I jump back as to why I have an issue with that scene where she went against what he said. And it stands out like a sore thumb when she starts saying the things of like, but how am I supposed to be your partner? And then having this argument of why she should be viewed as his partner when you just outright dismissed everything he said, put his experience to the side and said, nah, it'll be fine. And then just did your own thing Uh, to then afterwards say something like that is where it's just conflicting. So I, I still, I'm okay that there is a conflict as I mm-hmm. see that there's going to be a resolution at some point, but um, it almost feels a little bit more forced than it needed to. Like you brought yeah. up your idea with how they should have gone about it in that scene. I'll just kind of right capitalize on that. If they would have done that, made it mm-hmm. outright her fault, all of this would have seen that much more flow naturally and believable, but yeah. it's, yeah, they kind of shot themselves in the foot of the Exactly. I think that's the big I, that's really the big mistake here, because this scene um, between Clint and Kate at the end would have been so much more resonant and impactful. Like you said, if if the consequences of her making that rash decision earlier had been the reason why this is happening, it would have been a really good teaching moment for her character that uh, she needs to she needs to not be so overly confident and not be rash and not make these kind of really dumb choices in these tactical situations and how they can potentially lead to nearly dying from all these fights going on with Elena. And this could have been a really big teaching moment where she says like, I can't be your partner if you can't let me in. And he can light into her and says like, you're an amateur. You, 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 this whole thing, you blew our whole cover. You, uh, you, you know, you caused this thing to trip and all that kind of stuff. And had I done this, we would have gotten in and out clean. And this wouldn't have been a thing. I think had they set it up like that, where had Clint done this, it would have been successful. And because Kate did it, it was unsuccessful. And these, uh, these uh, opposing forces come in. It would have been so much more logically grounded and stronger in the scene there. But to have her have her do that, things go sideways because of the silent alarm, which I think is the fulcrum. The silent alarm mechanism is probably the fulcrum of where things went wrong. Because it's like, if it, it if it had been Kate's fault, it, it would have made so much more sense. Do you think that the silent alarm would have for sure gone off like no matter what? Or do you think it's just because she literally went through the front door? Like maybe if if Clint right. had gone through the window, like he maybe could have gotten around it type of thing. Cause yeah, it's, that's it's, the only thing that could have furthered your point about it being her fault. 
true true yeah it definitely could have and uh and you know maybe they address this in the next episode where the, he elaborates a little on why he's kind of like distancing himself from her but i thought this was a perfect opportunity to bring that up but the alarm could have been tied to the front door i uh that makes a lot of sense now that you say that because i was thinking it was a motion detection alarm where it was just like if there's motion in the apartment after they've triggered it then it's going to go off so either way it probably would have gone off there but uh, they were both by the front door, so maybe your point is uh, is is uh, is accurate there. Where just her going through the front door is what tripped it. You know, it seemed like when she opened the door and walked in, they weren't going off, and then when she started walking into the room, the flashing started. So it didn't seem like it was immediately happening when she opened the door. So that's the only thing I would uh, I would kind of push back on that with. But yeah, it's uh, that's that's kind of the tough point of the episode there, where I feel like like I we said, everything felt very internally grounded and logical up until that point, and then it was like with her making that decision and then the character stakes of it not kind of paying off. It didn't really, it didn't really land for me all that well. But like you said, this is the kind of midpoint section where, where these kind of these, these kind of things happen. And I don't mind that they're maybe formulaic in that, in that uh, regard. What I mind is, did they do the legwork with the characters to, to make that moment kind of land? Right. And I think they have, I think they've done enough legwork with Kate and Clint to the point where having that conflict at the end of this episode still kind of emotionally lands for me. But yeah, that's uh, that was episode four here. Do you have any so like having the big reveal of Yelena come in and he's being hunted by uh, Black Widow now? Maya's been shot in the shoulder by Kate, so they're kind of setting up a a, a tense standoff with them uh, to come up in the future. Uh, what are your predictions after this episode as far as where you think everything's going to go and uh, and and for the series? I feel like they're trying to potentially throw these things into the mix so that you. Maybe just maybe can't fully guess who's the bad guy, just like how Kingpin doesn't want you to know who's the bad guy. So, right, where we have this focus so much on why Maya could potentially be looked at as the antagonist of the series. But I think that really what's going to happen is slowly but surely we're going to have the, the facade breakdown of their differences and just realize, like, oh, we're not really as much against each other as we are so much as like we're being distracted and should focus on this stuff that Kingpin's doing. I really feel like I don't know how much he's going to appear in the next couple episodes, but I do feel like it's leaning towards something that like he's a big underground crime boss. And that's like what they're all stumbling upon and need to stop him. I mean, that's that's my big guess is I think that it's all going to unfold. They're not actually going to be against each other as much as they seem to be right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that means they're all going to team up and go against Kingpin, but I do imagine that like they're going to realize he's the one to be worrying about. I think they're definitely going to team up. I think that's going to happen. I think probably all four of them are going to fight against whatever kind of Kingpin has going on at some point in this in this series. For those of you that don't know, I'm sure if you're watching the show, you probably are aware. But Charlie Cox, who played Daredevil, was introduced or he was confirmed to be coming back as Daredevil in the MCU. And when we heard that news, that that kind of big news drop that Charlie Cox was reprising that role, I messaged you and I said, this seems like it's indicating like I thought I thought maybe Kevin Feige was doing this intentionally and saying, like, we're about to reveal Wilson Fisk. I might as well go ahead and reveal the Charlie Cox's Daredevil thing before that happened. So when it happened, I, t I, I messaged you and said, it feels like uh, the timing of this feels too kind of convenient it seems like maybe we may be getting a Wilson Fisk kingpin reveal um, in this episode, which we did not. Um, so I, I do think that that's probably going to happen in the next episode. I think we're finally going to get um, Vincent D'Onofrio's kingpin in the next episode. I think that's the next big reveal that we've been waiting for. Having the reveal in the next one, you can actually have the standoff in the last episode 
uh, in episode right. six with it. So it makes sense that the next episode's kind of be where they reveal that. Quick note too, uh, did you notice Yelena had the Natasha ponytail or the t- Natasha hairstyle? I thought that was pretty. Yeah. I thought that was a that was a cool touch that she's kind of adopted that. So she's gonna definitely factor into the next uh, the next episode as well. So it's gonna be interesting. Hopefully they they kind of show her perspective a little bit in the next episode. I think they're probably gonna do that. I think they're gonna devote some time to maybe how she got there or what she's been doing in New York or how she's maybe been tracking him behind the scenes, and we'll get to kind of see that fleshed out a little bit. Um, so those are probably my big ones. What do you think? Uh, if I had to pin you down for a prediction, what do you think the Rolex is? I've been trying to think it's been stumping me. I've been trying Mm -hmm. to think if it's been some advanced tech or something. I feel like it's not so much the watch itself. I, I have a feeling like there's something in the watch. Like Mm -hmm. if you were to open up the watch that there's maybe some sort of, whether it's like, you know, a a small chip of information or something like that. Um, That's my only guess is that the watch is more so like a casing for whatever is actually something inside. And, And again, I'm guessing that it's maybe just something informationally based, but I can't really try to narrow down what it may be. I'm so desperate to see them start to eventually incorporate x-men and fantastic four because they have the rights to it all now and i know it would be doing a lot at once and i don't even think there's enough of a connection between like comics and everything like that to do something like Mm -hmm. this but it was like what if it's like a list of all the people that are known to have the x gene and like kingpin's like testing uh you know running tests on people that that are mutants um yeah i don't know so that was i it started going to all crazy places it's a good way of me saying i'm very curious to find out yeah. what it's gonna be what, what about you man do you, do you have any thoughts of what it's gonna be so i have like i have directions of where so i have like i don't have like a specific thought but i have kind of like a, a vague generalization about what i think it might be so initially i thought I, I, I talked about in a previous episode that I thought maybe it was Iron Man's thing where he pulls the nanotech around his hand and it becomes the suit and it kind of like builds the suit around him and stuff. I thought it was maybe like a Stark tech, um, something using that kind of advanced nanotech in the watch there. I don't think that's the case now because when they talked about the Rolex, he said, quote, uh, Clint said, quote, it would blow their cover. Goodbye, friend. And I remember thinking, well, that's not Iron Man because Iron Man's already gone. So he's talking about somebody else. And then I thought maybe it's Stark Tech, but he's talking about Rhodey. So maybe it's Rhodey's watch or something like that for the for that suit. Potentially, I was thinking like that might be the case. Um, But I think I think if I had to guess, I think because it's a watch, just symbolism of a watch is is symbolic of time. And we've been introducing in the MCU this whole like uh, timelines and different time stuff. And there's a lot of watches that feature prominently in Loki and the uh, TVA um, potentially. So I think it probably has something to do with that. I think using uh, using a Rolex and using a watch for that is is kind of symbolic that it maybe has something to do with TVA or split universes or time or something along those lines, which is why it would be so uh, heralded and expensive and and uh, so sought after by Kingpin. So that's probably where I where I aim. Do do I know what that is practically? No, I have no I have no clue. But I I, I think if I had to guess um, from a writing perspective, I think like oh, if you're introducing this as a Rolex and it's a very popular thing and it's a it's a timekeeper, then then having that be related to this thing that you've just introduced in the uh, Phase Four would make sense. So that's probably where my predictions lie on that. Um. That's going to wrap it up for us here, though. Uh, I I, had, I did have a lot of fun with this episode. This was probably, I think, you know, after talking it out and kind of going over that, this is probably the weakest of the of the four. Um, just 
just because of internal logic issues that we talked about there. So I probably would change my ranking having kind of like talked it out and kind of spoken about it and stuff, uh, things that I maybe overlooked, but uh, definitely still a fun episode. Even like the worst episode of this season is still, um, I, I still enjoy how grounded and, and, and the characters and, and everything there. Do you have uh, do you have anything that you want to promo anything coming out or uh, anything that you're that you're currently working on? I know you said last week that you were just kind of working on some more Marvel projects and stuff. You were just coming along with that. The Shang-Chi one is the next one up on the list. I know I mentioned that before, but that one is at least more being put together, closer to being finalized. I don't want to give an exact date, but at least be on the lookout for that one. That's that's the most I will start to promote at the yeah. time being. <laughs> Shang-Chi awesome. Yeah, so uh, I have a I just did a review on Red Notice that dropped on the site, uh, the the dismedia.com. So you guys can definitely check that out there. I've got some announcements about the channel that I'm going to be making fairly soon. So if you guys are uh, if you guys want to join the Discord, I'll have it linked in the description below. But I'm going to make some announcements on what I'm going to be doing with the Distract channel um, coming up coming up fairly soon. I have some ideas for that. I think King Richard is probably going to be my next review. I've already kind of started on that. Um, but yeah, that's going to wrap it up here. Um, I hope you guys are having a happy holiday uh, from from me and Jace here. And as always, guys, discuss amongst yourselves. We'll see you later.